0: Welcome back to another edition of the Disney Dish Podcast with Jim Hill. It's me, Len Testa, and this is our show for the week of Schmerz Day, December 25th, 2023. Merry Christmas, everyone. On the show today, news, surveys, and listener questions. Then in our main segment, Jim tells us about the time Disney wanted to design a ride based on Charles Dickens' A Christmas Carol. Let's get started by bringing in the man who says that your oven, microwave, and blender all have see-through windows... Which makes you wonder what secrets your dishwasher is keeping. It's Mr. Jim Hill. Jim, how's it going? Ah, uh, land the dishwasher,
1: the new battlefield of the American marriage. <laughs> <laughs> I, I know where you're going with this, right? Go ahead. All right, go ahead. I, as a man, I just want credit for loading and then unloading the dishwasher. I mean, Nancy, like many women, insists that there is, in fact, a proper way that dishes should be loaded into the dishwasher. I mean, I agree in principle. The proper way that dishes should be loaded into the dishwasher is inside the dishwasher. And, right. and you should put in soap. But, but beyond that, I don't think, as males, we need advanced instruction when it comes to dishwasher opportunities operations and it I Len, for this specific moment I have modified Jack Nicholson's speech from a few good men. Uh, go you know, ahead. <laughs> okay. The, I have neither the time nor the inclination to explain myself to the woman who eats off of the clean plates and then ask questions <laughs> of the manner I provide them. I would rather she just say thank you and then be on her way. Uh, now, if you'll excuse me, Len, I have to go turn the couch into a bed because I'll be sleeping
0: there for the next few days. Exactly. So, so any couch can be a sleeper sofa. There we go. If you, if you make there your spouse go. wrong, I'm, I'm mad enough. Yeah. The thing that I, I like, there's a uh, is, is this idea that. In pre marriage counseling, they don't explain to you that in every relationship, there are two people one person who stacks the dishwasher with the precision of a Scandinavian architect, and the other one who stacks the dishwasher like a raccoon on meth. <laughs> and they marry each other.
1: <laughs> well, I, I, all right. You know, and I, I say
0: that as the man who is not allowed to sort clothes for laundry. Okay. So. I know my limitations. Okay, I get that, and
1: and yes, the raccoon on meth is is, is a very apt description. So you know that that. But again, I, I load them and I take them out. Like, shouldn't that be enough?
0: You, you, you know, know what? That counts. That, that counts. counts. That's what you want, exactly. There all right, go. all right, Jim. Let's do a quick shout out to our Patreon subscribers. Thanks to new subscribers: Review Time Dom, Keith Schrod, Deal Ron, and our friend Andrew Justvig, and longtime subscribers JP Lemond. Elizabeth Furliger, Paul Novak, and Brenda Rothstein. Jim, these are the Hollywood Studios cast members searching for ancient relics just outside of the Indiana Jones epic stunt spectacular. They say the Do Not Pull Rope sign is a gag that started with college program kids one year. Mm -hmm. And so did the Beware of Face Melting Antiquity sign, but we'll save that for another story.
1: True story. Okay. Oof. All right.
0: (laughs) All right. Quick reminder to folks, uh, we're moving the show to Patreon. This is our last show posted to Bandcamp, so starting with the January 1st episode, we'll all be on Patreon. Sign up at patreon.com slash Media. and don't forget to close down your Bandcamp subscription after that. Mm -hmm. On to the news. The news is sponsored by touringplans.com. Touring Plans helps you save time and money at theme parks like Walt Disney World. Check us out at touringplans.com. All right, Jim, a couple of uh, interesting news announcements. First one, Disney announced the return of Hollywood Studios' Voyage of the Little Mermaid attraction... Yes. For fall of 2024. All right. right. All right. So the uh, attraction originally opened in 1992, closed mm-hmm. in 2020 with the pandemic, never reopened. Around 500 seats, I think, for the show. Sounds about right. Yep. Mm-hmm. And uh, I don't think we're expecting any major theater renovations or anything like that. Um, so I think a lot of the time between now and the opening is probably going to be spent bringing all the infrastructure up to current building codes. Mm -hmm. And I haven't heard anything about the show length, but I know, Jim, that the previous show was around like 14 or 15 minutes in length, which allowed them to get a bunch of them through in a day, which is important for a park that needs capacity. Absolutely. Like the studios. Mm -hmm. What are you thinking? I think about the same time?
1: Oh, God, yeah. One thing I have heard from folks in entertainment is uh, this will basically hew to the uh, the 1989 film, you know that. Oh,
0: not the uh, uh, not the remake, not the remake. Uh, you know, interesting. That,
1: and, and what was interesting, uh, you know, during the pandemic, there was much talk of you know if the Rob Marshall movie was as mm-hmm. successful as the company was hoping that they would reimagine, uh, you know, the this attraction, the Voyage of the Little Mermaid. To, you know, go closer to that film. And uh, a lot of reasons didn't do the numbers that Disney had expected. And Uh so this is going back to the original. So, you know, just so folks know that,
0: you know, going in. It's the most popular version. So that kind of makes sense. There you go. So fair enough. All right. So uh, so fall of 2024. And uh, also, Jim, word on the street is that we might hear one more announcement soon. We'll see. Yeah. We'll see. We'll, we'll see. Anyway. Mm-hmm. Uh, speaking of announcements, uh, mm-hmm. Universal has apparently bought several hundred acres of land mm-hmm. in Bedford, England, about 45 minutes north of London for a new regional theme park. Now, Universal hasn't uh, hasn't said anything beyond the fact that they've bought the land. Mm-hmm. Uh, but what are you hearing?
1: Well, you know, it's kind of interesting. I, I first heard about this uh, the, the week you and I were in town for uh the ginger snap challenge that you know right. that that this was supposedly going down and uh, but again the problem with stories like this is you know somebody tells you something and says don't talk about it so you're you, yeah. You, yeah you had to sit on it but but what's interesting is that you know universal did make a run at doing a a park in the uk back in geez this would have been right after uh, Florida opened in the 1990s, and oh, open, really? I didn't know. I, I, I didn't know that. Yeah, that that you know they they have eyed this part of the world before, and and in fact, what was huh. interesting is there had been bubbling up uh, earlier, you know, uh, suggestions that you know Universal was going to Europe, but the the smart money was you know on them going to Spain, uh, you know, yeah. re- revisiting you know the park that they had there at one time and. Uh, No, it's, you know, this is, well, as you're about to talk about, this is an interesting choice, you know, for a
0: site. It's for a couple of reasons. Um, So one thing is that uh, Bedford, England is about 45 minutes north of London. Mm -hmm. Uh, So it's, uh, you know, served by major train service. And it's uh, also... Within two hours of travel of half of the United Kingdom's population, mm-hmm. which is big when you're trying to uh, to, to draw people in and a two hour drive actually for the uk is is a fairly lengthy drive um, not not so in the United States mm-hmm. um, the thing that um, the thing that interested me was if you look at the weather mm-hmm. for it you think of uh, England as being cold and rainy mm-hmm. um, but and you know that might have been true in the past, but think about it fifty years from now right yeah. or thirty years from now mm-hmm Right now, it's got a relatively temperate climate uh, around Bedford. Mm-hmm. Highs are in the mid-70s, maybe mm-hmm. the low 70s, and the lows six months out of the year are in the 40s. Mm-hmm. So if you think about 30 years from now and what's going to happen with um, global warming, mm-hmm. it's probably a better bet than Spain or Paris.
1: You're not wrong.
0: You're not yeah. wrong. Though I, I,
1: that said, I am hearing that a good portion of this park will be
0: indoors indoors right mm-hmm. so that's the other thing uh the weird thing about Bedford's weather is it uh it's more like Florida in terms of consistent rainfall mm-hmm. it gets around two inches of rain per month like between 1.5 and 2.25 mm-hmm. uh, inches per month which is which is fairly consistent uh, so yeah indoor attractions also that'll help them you know when the the six months of the year when the lows are below 40 mm-hmm. Fahrenheit so that's uh that's good yeah I mean they're planning for it Okay. And and one other aspect
1: of planning that I, I just want to put out there. Um this is supposed to be the most Disney-like of the universal parks. And when I say that um mm. you know how universal in the past had a habit of you know it would license the Simpsons, it would license uh, Harry Potter, you know, uh, toward yeah. that end. Um this is you know this is a park that that is being produced under mark woodbury's uh you know guidance and you know he was the head of universal creative and then became you know head of universal parks and experiences and mark really believes in the fact you know he he's like look we have ip we have good love. franchises, yeah. Yeah, yeah. We, we've, we've got Despicable Me, we've got Minions, we've got Trolls, we've got, mm-hmm. you know, we don't have to license other people's stuff so anymore. So just people should be ready for that. This is going to be the most universal of the Universal parks.
0: Do you have a time frame for when this uh, development is going to begin or when it's going to open? I mean, knowing how fast Universal moves, it'll probably be a week from Thursday. <laughs> When the first hotel is up, you
1: know. well, you know. Again, what's kind of interesting about this uh, is remember, Universal hasn't officially announced it yet. In fact, that right. uh, our 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 good friend Alicia Stella, you know, once again broke the news and uh, yep. you know found the the permits and the you know they they had you know copyrighted various names and that sort of thing. So mm-hmm. they're still out from their official announcement oh right. uh, I'm here in 26 27 at the earliest you know so. yeah I would think
0: 26 or 27 yeah the uh the the one thing that we had heard mm-hmm. uh, and credit to Alicia for for finding this mm-hmm. was that uh the deal had been in the works for some time oh yeah but that yeah, the yeah. the current uk government mm-hmm. had wanted to make the announcement closer to the general election which I believe has to happen by early 2025. Yeah,
1: yeah, <laughs> you know, there, there, there are that, several... there,
0: there, some national politics that's coming into the
1: universal theme park world. There yeah. we go. There are multiples agendas being
0: serviced here. So, uh, but, but yeah. yeah, looking forward to that. Hey, you know what? And it's a road trip for us. So that'll be fun. There you go. There we go. So awesome. All right. Mm-hmm. Uh, one more bit of uh, news. This one was a mild surprise going back to uh, the studios. Mm-hmm. Rock and Roller Coaster is going to have its second lengthy refurbishment mm-hmm. in two years starting in 2024 begins January 8th and Disney doesn't even have a definitive reopening date Mm -hmm. only says summer. And the reason that's interesting is that it was closed uh, for three months this year, February 23rd -hmm. to May 25th to resolve some issues with downtime that apparently didn't work Mm -hmm. because the ride is still averaging almost two hours of downtime per day. Hmm.
1: That's interesting.
0: Yeah, that's a lot of downtime for a ride. We, you know, and uh, our friend Jim Scholl designed mm-hmm. Rock and Roller Coaster. Mm-hmm. Maybe we should uh, have him on to talk about this when it happens. Yeah, yeah. that, that, that I, I think
1: that would be an interesting way to go here. I just... um, I mean, what's kind of intriguing at Disneyland, for a time, this was kind of the pattern with the Matterhorn, wasn't it? I mean, it would be yeah. down for... You know, it would run for nine months and then be down for three months for repairs. But... These two, you know,
0: lengthy, uh, you know, downs back to back. that's
1: that's unusual.
0: Hmm. I mean, rock and roller coaster right now seems to have uh, the same sort of recovery needs that I do after I go for a jog, or <laughs> I'll, like I'll go for a run on a Monday, and by Friday I'm okay again, maybe. <laughs> and by Friday, I mean Friday, like you know, in six months I'll be fine.
1: You know, theme park rides need naps too.
0: Okay, yeah, I'm exactly. just saying. You know, it's I mean the the the. the bigger thing that I think that we all have to look at here mm-hmm. is when Rock and Roller Coaster goes down. And I know mm-hmm. it's not super reliable right now, but, mm-hmm. you know, there aren't that many attractions in Hollywood Studios and mm-hmm. not very many of them are reliable to begin with. Mm-hmm. So taking Rock and Roller Coaster offline is going to put additional stress uh, not only on the attractions you know that are left, but mm. also on Genie Plus and individual Lightning Lane. Oh, no doubt. And I so I, that, I, that's gonna be the big thing to watch there. Yeah.
1: I also wonder what the impact will be on Lightning McQueen's Racing Academy, because you know, face it, a lot of people discover that when they're back there. Back it's like, there, yeah. You know, oh, there's another ride back here, and if if you know, uh, you know, Rock and Roller Coaster is down for for six months. I'd be fascinated to see, you know, what happens attendance wise there for Racing Academy. Yeah,
0: I'm thinking uh, a lot of spontaneous dance parties.
1: <laughs> <laughs> no, I go. mean
0: it, it, it's probably true. They need something to bring people back into that's part of the park, right? Uh, yeah. And you think about like, I mean, Disney's got um, uh, food carts back there. They've mm-hmm. got a, a ton of stuff. I mean, there's some revenue that'll be lost, mm-hmm. right? There's so we'll see, but uh, yeah. but hopefully they get this one, they get it fixed this time. Here's open. All right, on to surveys. Um, Ed and Erica sent in a Disney World survey that asked some really detailed questions we haven't seen before. Mm-hmm. And Jim, the questions are on how much of the total vacation budget Disney got. So Ooh. it's a it's a super specific question, and okay. it says you know approximately how much did you and your travel party spend in total mm-hmm. in U.S. dollars on your recent trip? And so you give a total amount, and then it asks you of that amount that you spent, mm-hmm. how much did Disney get? And how much did everything else in Central Florida get? Wow. Yeah. I think this is interesting for a number of reasons. Mm-hmm. Um, the first is that uh, it's Disney trying to figure out how much more of the pie is left after they take their slice. Mm-hmm. And the second thing is, you know, of the of the money that's left, where is it going? Because that would tell Disney who their competitors are, right?
1: Right. Just the fact that they're asking this question
0: now. That's yeah. interesting. Okay. So s- super impressed with uh, Ed and Erica for having a detailed budget about what they spent. That's mm-hmm. uh, It was really good. Because the second question after this is, is this. You indicated that you spent a total of X dollars on your mm-hmm. recent visit to Walt Disney World. Mm-hmm. We'd like to know how much you spent on each of the individual elements of that visit. <laughs> so it breaks it down into things like accommodations, tickets, parking, food and bev, merch, and so on. Mm-hmm. And the reason why I think this is interesting is they include lines for Genie Plus Ooh. and Individual Lightning Lane. And I think what they're going to be able to do here mm-hmm. is figure out if that money that they're spending on Genie Plus and Individual Lightning Lane is incremental spend mm-hmm. or if it's taking the place of something else. And and here's why I think that's the reason for this. Well, um, you know, we're doing sort of at Touring Plans, we're doing sort of our year-end wrap-up on all of the... Mm -hmm. the the data that we collected for the year. And one of the interesting things that we saw Mm -hmm. is that the number of guests who are um, using park hoppers has decreased since 2019. Mm -hmm. And I'm wondering if the additional cost of the park hopping is going towards things like Genie Plus and Individual Lightning Lane, where it's not incremental spend. It's simply a swap of one thing for another with the same money. I I
1: think you're you're onto you're something right, yeah. there. I you know yeah. I, I I also think you know the the secondary uh you know financial commitment to an individual theme park for the day when you look at the cost of of you know Genie plus or, or Lightning mm-hmm. Lanes it's just sort of like we're here we you know we're
0: you're, yeah. you know
1: we've committed to being here so you know <laughs> let's go buy a thirty dollar popcorn bucket so you know.
0: I was talking to a, to someone yesterday and I mentioned that, um, you know, for, and they were asking about, you know, next week or this week, Christmas week mm-hmm. at Walt Disney World, how much Genie Plus was going to be. And I was like, well, it's a family, you, you, have, you have four people in your family, mm-hmm. you know, expect to be about $150 per day, tax included. Mm-hmm. So, you know, $35 a day with tax per person. Mm-hmm. And they, they, they disbelieved me. They did not believe me that it was going to be that much. I'm like, Thanksgiving. <laughs> it was yeah. like, this isn't not only is it not unprecedented mm-hmm. it's it's precedented in the last couple of weeks yeah. so yeah that's where I think that's going so if anyone has any other ideas on um on how similar surveys are constructed and what they're trying to get to let me know yeah and more to the point
1: anybody else gets you know this same survey please pass it along oh, we, we'd please, love yeah. the info so all
0: right uh time for two quick listener questions one mm-hmm. from Gene who says I'm really enjoying the new shows on patreon with Jim Scholl oh, thank mm-hmm. you gene Are there any rumors concerning the return of Tables in Wonderland? It seems like the annual passholder crowd would appreciate its return now that the Disney dining plan is coming back. I'm not a huge fan of the Disney dining plan, but I enjoyed the benefits of Tables in Wonderland. So, Jim, my my sense here is, you know, Mm -hmm. if we go back to the the comments of Bob Chapek, Mm -hmm. who pointed out that people from out of town spend more than locals, Mm -hmm. you know, it would be difficult to bring back Tables in Wonderland if that's still the philosophy of the Walt Disney Company, because locals would use restaurants more and take up more slots mm-hmm. than out-of-towners, and the locals would be paying less because of Tables in Wonderland. So I, I don't know that, that that's an incentive for Disney to bring it back. But what do you think?
1: You know, the only way I see Disney revisiting this idea, the Tables in Wonderland thing, you know, especially with the accent on Locals, Mm -hmm. Is a a truly specialized program, one that would only be focused on Disney Springs.
0: Oh, interesting idea! Yeah, you know,
1: uh, you know, something that you know would give locals a discount and and compel them to come, uh, you know, to uh, Disney Springs. But again, you know, with an emphasis on
0: say, uh, you know, midweek versus weekend. Yeah, you know, what if they did that? What if Mm -hmm. it was like, it was it was just for locals, right? Mm -hmm. So you had to be a Florida resident, let's Mm -hmm. say. Also, you know, they they target the restaurants mm-hmm. and either the days of the week or the times of day. Like if you wanted to go, if you're a local and you wanted to go to Disney Springs and go to STK for lunch mm-hmm. and get 20% off with a Tables in Wonderland card, yeah, I'm 100% for that. Yeah. I think that would, that'd be a great idea. But, you know, they don't need, they don't need locals competing for 20% off discounts at, you know, Be Our Guest or whatever. No. But I think, yeah, a targeted yeah. A targeted version of Tables in Wonderland would be mm-hmm. really useful. Yeah, okay, good question, Gene. Let's hope that uh, that Disney hears this. Mm-hmm. Next uh, question is from Nick, mm-hmm. who writes in with an update on some missing dinos mm-hmm. in Dinoland USA. And Nick says, I really enjoyed episode 456, where Jim recounted the history of Dinoland USA. I thought you might be interested to know that many of the fossils that were used in Dino Jubilee were donated to the Orlando Science Center when the attraction closed in 2001, including Stan. No, really? And they're still on display at the Science Center in the Dino Digs exhibit. And Nick happens to work Mm -hmm. at the Orlando Science Center, so I really appreciate it. And he actually included the verbiage from the press release Mm -hmm. that says, uh, as part of a longstanding commitment on the part of Walt Disney World to the Orlando Science Center and its focus on making education fun, Mm -hmm. Disney's Animal Kingdom has donated an assortment of dinosaur fossils and replicas to Orlando Science Center. Guests have the opportunity to view the fossils as part of OSC's new permanent exhibit, "Dino Digs: Mysteries mm-hmm. Unearthed." Eight full dinosaurs and twelve other pieces are included in the donation.
1: All right, how about that? I, I you know, that that I I have an especial affection for the Orlando Science Center. I. I I don't know how well you know Ernest Saves Christmas, but it's one—it's one, it's one <laughs> <laughs> the finale, Jim, Jim, you know, Jim you, Varney's
0: magnum opus.
1: Yes, it, 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 you know again, the 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 but one of my more beloved films. Yeah,
0: you do love that film, don't well, you? Well, yeah. Look, you know, yeah, the, yeah. you know, any
1: movie that includes Jim Varney saying the line "nobody moves and nobody dies," you know, it's just sort <laughs> of, which again, you know, great the advice true during, of Christmas. <laughs> there we yeah. go, you know. But but yeah, that. that <laughs> I, 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 I have been looking for an excuse to re, you know, to revisit the Science Center. Now now that Stan, now that I know Stan's there, I got to go. I got to go. All right.
0: So so for uh, for those of you who are uh, happy to be driving uh, mm. to Orlando for the holidays, the Orlando Science Center is about 40 minutes north of Disney property, just off of I-4. Mm. So if you're looking for something to do on your travel day in or out of Walt Disney World, it's a super fun stop for breakfast and some dinosaurs. Mm. Yeah, definitely do that. Cool. All right, folks, uh, we're going to take a quick commercial break. When we come back... Jim tells us about the time Disney tried to design a ride based on Charles Dickens' A Christmas Carol. We'll be right back.
1: Congratulations! You made it to this side of the holiday shopping season! Mind you, this is the part where, after getting all those great gifts for your friends and family, you then take a look at your bank account and go, Ugh, I really need to rebuild that sucker. Of course, one way you can get started with that project is by eliminating unnecessary expenses, like, say, those subscriptions that you may have forgotten about. Streaming services that you signed up for when you only wanted to watch one specific show or fitness programs that you really meant to use but never quite got around to. If any of that sounds familiar, well, let me tell you about Rocket Money. Rocket Money is a personal finance app that finds and cancels your unwanted subscriptions, monitors your spending, and helps you lower your bills. And what I really love about Rocket Money is I can see all my subscriptions in one place now. And if I see something that I don't want anymore, I can cancel it with a tap. I never have to get on the phone to customer service. (sighs) I used to have to deal with those guys all the time. I'd set up a subscription to a particular magazine or newspaper in order to gain access to their online archive and do some research for a story or an article. And mind you, setting up the subscription was always quick and easy to do. But when it came time to cancel that subscription, well, that's when things suddenly got hard. Uh, the cancellation office was only open from uh, 10 to 5 on weekdays, and the people who worked there really seemed to answer a phone. So I really had to work hard back then when I wanted to cancel something. But now that I've got rocket money, all it takes is a few quick clicks, so why not join the more than 5 million users who have saved an average of $720 a year? That's more than 500 million in canceled subscriptions. Stop wasting money on things you don't use. Cancel your unwanted subscriptions today by going to rocketmoney.com disneydish. That's rocketmoney.com disneydish. One more time for those of you who are just waking up from a long winter's nap rocketmoney.com slash Disney Dish. We thank them for sponsoring today's
0: show. And we're back. All right, Jim, I know that uh, A Christmas Carol takes place on Christmas Eve, mm-hmm. and technically it's Christmas Day, but, you know, some of our listeners are getting the show a little bit early they today, on Christmas Eve, so, mm-hmm. you know, let, let's talk about this.
1: Yeah, well, I, you know, it, again, this is... This is traditionally the time of year where a Christmas carol, you know, enters, you know, our our sphere of entertainment. And, Mm -hmm. uh, just want to remind you folks that novella was originally published in London back in 1843. So this year marks the 180th anniversary of its publication, uh, and immediately became a holiday favorite. In fact, the very first movie version was a silent version produced here in the States in 1908 at SNA studios
0: in Chicago. Isn't it wild that the that there were movies 115 years ago? You
1: know that the, there was a lot of gesturing, Len. You know, just a yeah, little, that's true. Yeah, you yeah. know, <laughs> sound wouldn't come in for another 20 years, so it's like you know uh, they get, didn't get, need
0: just, to speak; they had faces. There we go. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. All right,
1: Sunset Boulevard reference, folks. You know, give the gang credit. Okay, uh, now for Disney fans, of course, they have a variety of Christmas carols to choose from. Uh, there's Mickey's Christmas Carol, first released at theaters 40 years ago this month, uh, December 16th, 83. Uh, kind of Interesting fact, what's not often talked about when it comes to this animated feature it, is that Mickey's Christmas Carol was originally supposed to be released to theaters in 1982, same year that Epcot Center opened. But when Don Bluth walked out the door at Disney oh, in, in September yeah. 79 and took a third of the studio's animation staff with him... Uh, by the way, those are the folks who eventually made Secret of Nim* release theatrically uh, July of 82. Totally disrupted Disney's production pipeline, um, mm. which not only delayed the release of Mickey's Christmas Carol by a full year, but had a similar impact on the very next animated feature that Disney had in the works, Fox and the Hound. Wow. That wound up being delayed from December of 1980 to July of the following year, 81. Um, and then, of course, there's a CG version of A Christmas Carol that Disney released in November of 2009, uh, directed by Robert Zemeckis and produced using performance capture. So it had Jim Carrey not only as Scrooge, but also all of the ghosts that visit that miserable miser. And worth noting here that, that when it came time for Disney to promote uh, this new Christmas Carol, what they decided to do, starting in May of, of that year, uh, 2009, a full six months before this movie arrived in theater, is that Disney tricked out a train, which had four vintage uh, cars, uh, with exhibits that explained how this new version of Dickens' Christmas Carol was created. I love it. <laughs> That's yeah. amazing. Well, and, and, and here's the thing, though. It, you know, It's sent off on a publicity tour that lasts 24 weeks, makes 40 stops in 36 states, and I, to be honest, the reason they opted to go this way, Dick Cook, who was the head of Disney Studios at the time, he, when he started at the company in the summer of nineteen seventy, his first job was working on the steam train at Disneyland. So oh. he was a big time train buff. So you know the the notion of hey, let's send a train off to promote Dickens' Christmas Carol, you know, and 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 so it was old homework for Dick. But but the sad irony here is by the time The Christmas Carol train pulled into its final stop. uh, By the way, right where you are right now. Penn (laughs) Station? Penn Station. (laughs) Yeah, there we go. Dick was actually out as the head of Disney Studios. Uh, They they had let him go six weeks earlier. uh, Uh And evidently, Iger and Cook didn't see eye to eye about how the studio should be run. And
0: um, so, anyway. Oh, wait, are are I, you going to say he was railroaded out of his job? I, <laughs> you were going to do it. I know. I, I see the show notes. Uh, uh, right. I, you know, and then you decided discretion is the better part of I, valor. And I, I decided, no, humor is the better part of discretion. Okay, <laughs> yeah. I know. Every so often it's like, wow,
1: that that's not low-hanging fruit. That's fruit that's on the ground. Okay. Yeah, you so know.
0: It's, it's been sitting on the ground for a while.
1: There we all go. Right. But all right. Anyway, thank you. Okay. Thank you for doing the joke. Okay. Anyway. Well, we're not here to talk about either of these two disney proofs but rather something that the company ultimately chose not to produce and that is a christmas carol
0: ride that the Imagineers designed for the uk pavilion at epcot center all right so let me pause here i've actually never heard this story before but i already love the idea of a permanent christmas ride in the uk
1: well and and just to be clear here i in fact i I shared it with len because it came off of the back of an Imagine News, which was the in-house oh. newsletter for uh, Walt Disney Imagineering, oh, is that uh, where the concept art comes from? There we go. Uh, you oh. know they. they yeah, so uh,
0: so so folks listening, um, mm-hmm. if you go to the show notes, mm-hmm. uh, we have concept art from the uh, from the ride itself, which and includes Santa being possessed by a Christmas tree <laughs> and floating in space. It's like the es- the Exorcist, but if Santa Claus was. <laughs> just to be clear
1: what len is describing is the ghost of christmas future all right and and you know it's the scene where he's showing christmas around the world so yes in a, a very strange kind of visual concept the uh, you know the ghost of christmas past it is at the same time a wonderful magical christmas tree
0: um, and the bed is floating. There's somebody uh, showing a uh, look of great concern that's on the assist- bed again. Jim, this is the, you know you you kind of squint with one eye. This is concept art from The Exorcist as well.
1: Well, you're not wrong. But but <laughs>
0: anyway, it, it's, anyway.
1: It, it's worth noting here that we have a date on this. It, it's 1984. More to the okay. point, the name of the gentleman who painted this piece of concept art will be well known to to Disney fans. That's Sam McKim. You know, oh. to you know, who did a lot of work on on many of the classic attractions to the park, but anyway, to, to sort of give you a sense of where this all fits in. story okay. starts uh, with the opening of Walt Disney World's Second Gate, uh, which opens yeah. October of 1982. Mm-hmm. And it's at this point that Wed has already been mapping out Phase two for, uh, you know, both World Showcase and Future World. And and to increase the overall capacity of Epcot Center, as well as give guests a reason to return to this theme park, the plan was, prior to the fifth anniversary of Epcot's grand opening, so again, uh, target date, 87, 87. Uh, Horizons was supposed to be open, Seas Pavilion was supposed to be open, Equatorial Africa Pavilion was supposed to be open. open. We're
0: going to do an entire show on that
1: yeah yeah but but also the rhine river ride uh would open at germany the meet the world show would be at the 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 japan pavilion and then the english music hall would be open at the uk pavilion um all right of this list only horizons and living seas got built uh horizons sponsored by general electric opens october 1st 83 Whereas Living Seas were Disney genuinely struggled to find a sponsor for this land. I, eventually, United Technologies agreed to to underwrite this Future World Pavilion, but but really cut down, uh, you know, the, the the
0: the earlier ride-through portion of the show uh, to, ah. to to get them on board. The only reason I know of United Technologies is because mm-hmm. they sponsored the Seas, and I. I don't know what they do. I don't know if you know if their their main job is mm-hmm. uh, providing uh, munitions to armies around the world. But I have a very positive view of United Technologies just because they sponsored the Seas Pavilion. No idea what they do, but yeah, you know,
1: no, no, no. That that again, I I was glad to see the place open, especially you know when you think about how long it took the Space Pavilion or for the Health Pavilion oh, yeah. to find yeah. sponsors. Anyway, all of the expansions stuff that was planned for World Showcase. Uh, geez, I you know, due to second gate, not meeting its initial attendance projections, not to mention that the whole project went, you know, over budget by several hundred million dollars. A lot okay, of this stuff yeah. puts on hold. Now, where was the music pavilion supposed to go? Well, now again, provided you with a, 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 another piece of, of concept art that shows, uh, the, you know, the pub right down by the water. You can okay. see the, the sort of high street shopping area. And then if you look beyond that, um, you see, uh, you know, often in the distance and kind of in the dark, uh, a a couple of other buildings looming where the park space is now. Um, This is where the the English Music Hall was supposed to go. And uh, what's interesting is Richard Beard, in his 1982 coffee table book, uh, Disney's Epcot, Creating the New World of Tomorrow... He described what this proposed addition to the UK was supposed to look like. and It said, On one side of the square, an area remains open. This is the future site of a show still being created by the Imagineers. In the early planning phase, there was talk of a a tour presentation space here uh, to be housed inside of an old English railroad station. Um, This idea then metamorphed into an Elizabethan-type dinner theater, uh, which then uh, turned into an English music hall. And that's where it stands, is the the, the genius can be found to successfully bouldernize the rough-and-tumble British vaudeville for a family audience. And um, now, uh, he makes that comment because... Um, I, look, English Music Hall, which by the way, is where Charlie Chaplin got a lot of his training. Uh, that's yeah. where Stan Laurel of Laurel and Hardy got his start. as an well. event. Yep. Um, so it was, it was kind of bawdy. And, um, and, and in fact, uh, it's Michael Crawford who, uh, runs the always excellent, uh, Progress City blog. Uh, Mm -hmm. He found uh, what happened here is there was some miscommunication that evidently, uh, as the story goes, there was a high muckety muck at the Mouse House who, when he was visiting San Francisco in the 1970s, happened upon an Americanized version of an English music hall show, uh, which was very much in the style of the Golden Horseshoe at Disneyland. Or the hoop doo at Walt Disney World. And so this exec goes back to the imaginary and says, we need one of these at the English Pavilion in World Showcase. So okay. the Imaginators being who they are, they go off and research authentic english music hall shows which as i mentioned far more body uh, you know and so when they presented to disney upper management they're they're kind of appalled because it's like oh it, yeah it's just like there's got to be a bar inside here oh yeah absolutely and and you're encouraging the audience to sing along to body songs it's like yeah yeah that's what we plan on doing and
0: so no oh. yeah they're not not very disney you know that, that that's a shame because like if i think of english music hall you know, the things that you want to pull from that would be yep. variety shows, singing, yep. dancing, mm-hmm. but also um, fast paced short acts, mm-hmm. which I think would fit in really well today.
1: Well, it's interesting you mentioned today because one of the other aspects of this music hall theater was the notion that between November and December, uh, as they do in the UK, they what they mm-hmm. wanted to do was a Christmas pantomime. And yeah. so now what's kind of interesting about doing an English you know Christmas pantomime is traditionally there's at least one role in the show that you know features a cross-dresser you know that 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 they will have a guy on stage who's playing you know like cinderella's evil stepmother or that sort of thing but it's so yeah. broad and it's so ridiculous and mm-hmm. and if you you think about what's been going on in florida politics lately it's like yeah that yeah, would it have might done. be
0: illegal to do that actually yeah, yeah okay. it
1: might be but all right anyway uh jumping back now to uh fall of 82 epcot opens uh, the idea of having an authentic English music hall at the back of the UK pavilion gets tabled. Uh, but starting in September of 83, or excuse me, spring of 1983, uh, Disney starts to get their first round of surveys in hand about what guests really think of
0: Walt Disney World's second oh, game. Oh, Cut, Now that it just opened. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Ugh, Okay, so it's like we don't understand what this is.
1: Well, more to the point, uh, you know, that front and center, loud and clear, is that Epcot doesn't have nearly enough rides. So this is what the Imaginators do. They begin to develop more rides for the theme park, especially since they can't persuade any German companies to come sponsor the the, the Rhine River ride that was going to be built in the World Showcase. So, huh. so the Imaginators have this building site at the back of the UK Pavilion where the English Music Hall was supposed to be built. Could a ride be built back there? And as we mentioned, Sam McKim goes off and noodles on something he initially calls the Dickens Ride. Um, which oh,
0: you know okay which, which you know uh, it, was, it was the best of rides it was the worst of rides there we go I'm, there we I'm, go i'm, I'm I, writing i'm writing the review right now okay <laughs> you know that was
1: it early concept was you would go past vignettes from uh based on dickens best books uh oliver twist great expectation tale of two cities um here's the thing. you know americans who would be making up the bulk of the visitors to epcot center they'd recognize the titles of of those books, but they wouldn't necessarily have actually read
0: them. Um, but you know what? You know what, Jim? Mm-hmm. They could they could uh, turn these into book report attractions where you just summarize the uh, the book really really fast. <laughs> Cliff notes. Cliff uh, okay. Notes. No, even faster. Yeah. Okay.
1: Well, all right, Sam revisits the idea version 2.0 uh which he works on well into 84 uh Mm -hmm. is based on the one dickens stories he knows americans are sure to know that's a christmas carol And, and 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 again as you described with the concept art Len McKim has a unique challenge he has to tell the entire story of a christmas carol in a theme park setting uh each significant scene from that story has to be told in a single scene like one room, one we scene go. per right. per significant event. Okay, all right. Okay, fair. and what's interesting is the the footprint is basically supposed to be the same footprint as Mister Told's Wild Ride. In fact, what's kind of interesting is one of the the effects for this attraction, instead of a horseless carriage, you were supposed to mm-hmm. be in a ghost powered carriage, uh, traveling through 1840s London. In fact, that th- there would be one moment in the ride uh where uh, you know kind of like the hitchhiking ghost you would be able to look to the side and see that your vehicle is actually being towed by the ghost of christmas future you know Oh
0: I love it.
1: Yeah. So uh but again each ghost uh Marley ghost of christmas past ghost of the present ghost of christmas future would get a scene uh Likewise, you'd see Scrooge's Counting House, the Cratchit Home, and uh, the Scrooge reform scene. Uh, it, Len, this is not the Cliff Notes version of the story. It's the Post-it note version of the story. um So what? <laughs>
0: <you know. laughs> it's all right. It's fine. It's fine. Okay. Anyway,
1: <laughs> Sam finishes working on the project just about the same time Michael Eisner is named as the new CEO. And to Eisner's way of thinking, an old-fashioned dark ride isn't the way to fix Epcot. A new 4D film starring Michael Jackson is. Now, Speaking of Michael Jackson, in this exact same window of time, uh, mid to late 1980s, the studio is prepping a sequel to its 1964 hit, Mary Poppins, one where Michael Jackson is supposed to have starred with Julie Andrews as Bert's brother, Bart. Seriously, then. Um, in a, <sighs> again, you want to read any more about this version of Mary Poppins, go check out the various articles that Brian Sibley, has written about this project. Um. Anyway. Jump ahead 30 Brian's years. S I B L E Y. Yep. Yeah. Okay. All right. Uh, anyway. 30 years later. This is when Disney finally actually does get a Mary Poppins sequel out the door. December right. of 2018? Uh, 2017? Um, now mind you. Julie Andrews opts out of playing that practically perfect nanny again. Uh, Emily Blunt plays the title role in this Rob Mm, Marshall movie. that's fine. All right. Interesting fact here. The balloon lady in the park in that movie who's played by Dame Angela Lansbury, that Hmm. role was actually written for Julie Andrews to play. The idea was that she'd make a brief cameo in the film kind of like how Dick Van Dyke uh, plays Mr. Dawes Jr. in the movie. And, in fact, the script was deliberately sculpted in such a way that there'd be one scene in the movie where Andrews and Blunt actually
0: appear on screen together. Oh. Okay. That could be a really, really touching moment, or it could be sort of like the fo- the thing that everybody focuses on.
1: And, uh, see, th- 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 I'm fascinated that, that you picked up on that, because that's ultimately why... Julie Andrews decided to opt out of it. She thought it would be unfair to Emily that the focus would be on her, on the scene rather than the the, the, the new woman playing Mary Poppins. Uh, and, "You know what? She, she's just a class act. There's nothing no, no, nothing no. else to say." Yeah. No. Anyway, Disney thought that Mary Poppins Returns was a sure thing. So much so that even before the sequel was released at theaters, WDI is working on an attraction for the UK pavilion for this soon-to-be-released film. And, and and remember, Epcot, you know, consistently, the complaint with guests is Epcot needs more character-based attractions. Uh, so in this point, Cherry Tree Lane was going to be added to the back of the UK Pavilion. Uh, there was going to be a meet-and-greet added for Mary and Jack. Uh, that's hmm. the Lin-Manuel Miranda character from Mary Poppins Returns. And then there was going to be the Dalton Bowl
0: spinner ride. Um, now, I, oh, it was going to be a spinner ride. Okay, so that was the rumor that I'd heard that there was nope, a, that the ride nope. was going to be a spinner. Okay, all right. This is where it gets interesting. It's
1: going it was going to be based on the the Royal Dalton Music Hall scene from Mary Poppins Returns, and in fact, the the irony is the song that's done during. This part of the film, the cover is not the book, is just as cheeky and bawdy as what the imaginers had wanted to do in their authentic English. You know, back society in the-
0: comes around to, uh, yeah. to 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 say, yeah. "All right, well, you know it." Yeah, okay, all right. But
1: but here's the thing. All right, you would have entered Seventeen Cherry tree Lane from from Mary Poppins Returns, and then mm-hmm. inside the first floor of of the the uh, the the uh, the Banks home. Um, they would have done that effect uh, from uh, the bell meet and
0: greet at the Magic Kingdom where you oh, move the Oh, from- the way that the uh, window, or sorry, a picture frame opens in the cottage at the there we go. workshop. That's there was a go. great effect. It's it a really good effect. Well, yeah. that's the
1: thing. That's why the imaginers wanted to circle back on it. No, so that's it. that's it. how you would have moved into the world of the Royal Dolton Bowl. And and anyway, inside uh this building, there was an uh, a spinner, uh, basically the teacups. Only mm-hmm. now you're instead of climbing into a teacup, you're getting into the royal Dolton bowl. And of course you exit through a gift shop, uh, you know, to full of Mary Poppins Returns merch and find yourself Back out, out on the street at the UK Pavilion, and here's the, the the really ironic part, Len. Royal Dalton had actually been one of Epcot's opening day sponsors. Um, really, they're the folks who ran uh, it. Had a couple names. It was the China Shop. It was also known as the Queen's Table. Um, yeah,
0: they make um they make pottery, right? There we go. There we go. Do, um, do they do they make teacups? Because that would have been perfect for the spinner. Yeah, oh, cross branding opportunity missed.
1: Yeah, but anyway, so and 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 so you know, just what was fascinating was this in a way would have been Epcot revisiting its own history with you know that shop having been there for opening day and uh, and as Glenn mentioned, we will be including with the show notes and we we'll also be pushing out through social media these pieces of concept art that we found. But um, but uh, you know, I just. It would have been great, uh, you know, to have something back in this space at the UK Pavilion. You know, in fact, the, the irony is this time of year is the only time that this is used, you know, uh, kind of effectively. You know, this is part of the, you know, how the uh, Christmas round the world you, you can visit with the yep. various Santas. Uh, this is, you know, uh, you know, this is where you get to meet Father Christmas.
0: It could have been a great time. and I, I, I love the idea mm-hmm. of a year-round Christmas ride yeah. in in the UK. And also, didn't didn't the UK invent Christmas cards?
1: I want to say yes, and that reminds me, I have a couple to get out. So yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. You, you, yeah.
0: You, you get about twenty minutes. To go. Okay,
1: yeah, we need to wrap this up. Okay, there we go. Okay, so.
0: but Jim, think about this. I mean, had they gone through with mm-hmm. the um, with the Charles Dickens Christmas Carol attraction. Mm-hmm. Yep. To get people onto the ride, they could have just had a cast member on one of the upper floors of one of the UK pavilions just open up a window every 20 minutes and yell out, <laughs> what's today, my fine fellow? <laughs> like somebody dressed as Ebenezer Scrooge. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, I love you, that. The line would be six hours long to get on I, this ride. I love that. You know, that, that and you it, could have, I mean, th- you could have the restaurants could serve Christmas puddings. And uh, Why are we not doing this again? I, I you know,
1: I, I, not to, to belabor the obvious here, but um, in the coming year at Holiday Land, you know, out in, mm-hmm. in the Midwest, they are opening a, you know, they already have Christmas rides at that park. They are, however, opening Good Gravy, the the Thanksgiving themed coaster, uh, where you you ride an oversized gravy boat. So, um, you know, I, again, I I think a road trip is in our future line.
0: So. I, you know, I think I think so. So when let's do this when we uh, when we go to London, there's a bunch mm-hmm. of really excellent theme parks in and around London. So there's mm-hmm. um Legoland Windsor which is a hoot. Mm-hmm. There's Thorpe which is my uh one of my favorite mm-hmm. scary parks. Uh you know ever because the rides are amazing. Mm-hmm. Um and then there's um Chessington which mm-hmm. is just adorable. Mm-hmm. But let's take the train right up 40 minutes 45 minutes to uh to Universal when it opens and then let's continue on another 45 minutes north. Mm-hmm. To uh, to Alton Towers because we go past uh, Stoke on Trent, mm-hmm. which I've stopped in, and that's where Royal Dalton is as mm-hmm. well, I think. So we can uh, oh. we can tie a bunch of things together. All right, let's do all that. All right, sounds great. Sounds great. Sounds also, great, I know but... you love to drive, but uh, but uh, when I did my month long tour of um, England, I did mm-hmm. not drive once. So it's all trains. Let's do uh, that. Okay. Okay. <laughs> I'll, I'll, I'll tough it out. So I love this. I love the idea of a year round Christmas attraction in the UK pavilion. Mm -hmm. fantastic show all right good job jim glad you like it. all right folks that's gonna do it for the show today you can help support our show by subscribing over at patreon.com slash jim hill media we're posting exclusive shows every week our latest show has behind the scenes stories photos and video from the building of disney mgm studios from imagineer jim Schull, who was there during the whole thing check it out at patreon.com slash jim hill media on next week's show jim gives us the surprisingly deep history of Shrunken Ned's Junior Jungle Boats in Adventureland. There's lore, kids. (laughs) (laughs) You can find more of Jim at jimhelmedia.com and more of me, Len, at Mm touringplans.com. We're produced spectacularly by Eric Hersey, who wants to hear your fresh ideas, people, for Ceramics Paint Night at the next monthly meeting of the Fancy Gap Elementary School Booster Club. That's 5.30 p.m. on Thursday, January 25th, 2024 at the Fancy Gap Elementary School in beautiful downtown Fancy Gap, West Virginia. While Eric's doing that, please go on to iTunes and Radar Show and tell us what you'd like to hear next. For Jim, this is Len. We'll see you on the next show.